Mm. Somebody brought us biscuits and gravy for breakfast today. <laughs> and then this sign says, if someone tells you biscuits and gravy isn't a meal, stop talking to them. You don't need that kind of negativity in their life. <laughs> isn't that great? Oh, it's so good. Welcome. Hi, everybody. We're glad you're here. Um, we're doing this uh, Daring Faith thing, and I'll explain along the way. That was Advanced Commitment Night with our kids and our, and our students. It was a phenomenal thing. We got a great kids' ministry and students' ministry. Sorry, I got sausage in my teeth. And, um, and they've, been, they've been working really hard. They're excited about the things that are going on. I'm excited about the things that are going on. I've been getting notes from people um, about marriages. You know, they decided to take a daring step of faith, and God's healed their marriage. Um, God has helped them pay their mortgage. God got them a job. God, I mean, just God, God has done amazing things, even as we're getting ready to step off in daring faith. So I want you to understand that. I also want you to understand if you're visiting, you know, if you're, if you're a guest or whatever this weekend, we're glad you're here. We're, we're committing ourselves today to uh, what the future is going to be here at Parkview, and that means financially. We don't want you to commit. I, I met somebody this morning. They were like, yeah, we got our, got our family up here from downstate. And I was like, oh, well, you know, warn them what's, what's going on today, you know. And, uh, you know, we don't expect them to give anything unless their last name's Rauner. Um, but, you know, um, <laughs> you know that, that, that's, why, that's what, we're, what we're doing today. I don't want you to miss next weekend. We start off insomnia, what keeps you up at night. I am a person who is not a great sleeper, so, you know, that's, it's a figurative thing, but it's a literal thing for me. And, and sometimes it is about the stuff that we worry about. Next week, Mother's Day. We try to figure out how, how do we make, how, do, how can you do Mother's Day? Because here's the problem. All guys want to honor your mom or your wife, right? I mean, you, you, you want to do that, but you don't want to come to a service that's like Daunton Abbey meets The Bachelor, right? I mean, so, so, and you ladies, you're like, I want my sons to come for Mother's Day, but I don't want it to be that, right? So my wife and I got the opportunity to meet Taya Kyle and interview her and um, Taya Kyle is the wife of the American Sniper. So there's not very many guys that are not going to want to hear this story, know what's going on. I mean, literally a, an unbelievable war hero, no matter what you think of it, and then was murdered by someone that he was uh, trying, a, a vet, messed up in the mind vet that he was trying to help. She's a single mom now. It, it, and the, the story of how God and faith helped her. Okay, so that's next weekend. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be incredible. My wife and I have been here for 26 years. Some people have been here longer. Um, 65 years ago, a group of people started this church. And I've watched what's happened along the way. So what I know is what's getting ready to happen today, uh, I'm excited about. Satan's all over it, you know, and there's a lot of spiritual warfare. But I'm excited about it because at 65, it is literally our 65th anniversary. At 65, we, you got a decision to make, right? Am I, am I going to retire or am I not? I mean, some of you are in situations where it's forced retirement at 65, and we're not going to retire, and I'm not going to retire. Symbolically, you know, that's what we're talking about, but we're not really going to do that. We're going to keep going with the mission. But here's the problem. As I travel the country, meet pastors, meet other church leaders, the problem is most churches say they're going to keep going on the mission that God has created for them, but they don't really put their money where their mouth is. They don't really put the effort into it. They don't, they're not willing to, you know, get rid of the organ. They're not really willing to do the things that they need to do to make the changes to move into the next level where God wants them. Peter Drucker, father of American business, says, there's two questions you should ask yourself every day. One, should I eat biscuits and gravy? Oh my goodness, is that good? I'm just going to have a little bit more. One, what business are we in? 
And two, how's business? It's really that simple. It doesn't matter whether you sell widgets, you know, or internet, or whether you're a doctor, or, or whether you're a pastor, or whatever it is. You've got to ask yourself these two questions. What business are we in, and how's business? Okay? I wrote a book called Life on Mission. I wrote a program for churches to help them get back on this. And one of the fun things that we did along the way is we started collecting pictures of people who forgot that they had a business they were in. They forgot what business they were in, and they screwed it up. Okay, these are my favorite pictures. Some of you have seen these from a year and a half ago. These are my favorites. I share these all around the country. You had one job, okay? That's what we called it. You had one job. It's not that hard, okay? Really. Okay, how about this one? You had one job. Watch it carefully. You had one job, put the milk in the bowl. I don't know very many people that eat their cereal that way, all right? This one is self-explanatory. You had one job. I'm not going to tell you what state that's in. I'm just going to leave it there, okay? You had one job, designer, architect. Don't make me get up for the toilet paper. How about this one, guys? I love this. You had one job. How, how does that work? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good. I'm good. How's about them bears? I mean, that. All right. Guy walks into Starbucks, says, I want a cappuccino, latte, frappa, whatever. Yeah, and the barista says, okay, what's your name, sir? Uh, Mark with a C. <laughs> Kark! Got your latte. <laughs> C.T. Studd said it really well, and you'll hear this quote a lot around here. It's kind of one of those things that we've just adopted. Some wish to live within the sound of the chapel bell, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. So that's what we do. Welcome to a yard from the gates of hell. And we're going to keep doing it. And, and I mean that in, in, in a figurative way. The world all around us is crumbling. Marriages are crumbling. People are crumbling. And people need God. And there's 7 billion people in the world, and at least 5 billion of them don't know Jesus. So, yeah, we're going to keep taking the church to where they are. And that means we're going to put our treasure where our heart is. It means we're going to put our money where our mouth is. So today we're committing to a generosity initiative, a two-year initiative. And we're going to ask you to do things differently. We've got more worship at the end of the service. And again, not trying to put pressure on you if you're visiting, but we're going to do everything together. It's the only way it makes sense. We're going to come up and we're going to drop our cards in. If you're visiting, you put your next steps card in, in the tires, and then we're going to grab the uh, communion cups and, and go back to our seats and do it together so that everybody can do this together. What we're trying to do is increase our generosity by about 50% over the next two years. I mean, if we want to retire, we can. We can live on Social Security. We can just live on what's going to come in. And if we don't do this, if I don't stand up and say, hey, you guys, let's go do this, if I, if I don't make something else happen, what's going to happen is probably about 20 to 22 million is going to come in. That's normally what, what comes into this organization. That's what's going to happen. That's our, you know, normal. That's how we do the things that we do, which is great. But if we stretch a little bit, and our goal is 35 million, then we can do a huge ministry in Malawi, the third poorest country in Africa, and in Kenya, and, and plant a church in the Dominican Republic, and plant a church in Brazil, and maybe a safe house in Brazil. And we can build a parking lot at Homer Glen. 
Our Homer Glen campus has been unbelievable. It's been, it's been so great. It's, it's almost doubled in size since we moved it from our Lockport campus. The, the problem is they don't have enough parking. So we can only have two Sunday morning services at Homer Glen right now because we're sharing Denolfo's parking lot. They've been great to us, but every once in a while they like to like, use their own parking lot. And have a wedding or something, you know, over there. So we can't do Saturday night. We can't even do another Sunday until we get more parking. My friend Daryl needed justification for buying an HD drone. Uh, so here you go. Here's a, thank you, Daryl, for doing this. That's our Homer Glen campus. Only 150 spots up front. So we are going, and we own all the property going all the way back, 13 acres on 159th Street. Unbelievable blessing of God. We're going to build more parking back there. That only happens if daring faith happens, okay? If that doesn't, you know, if we, if we can't stretch it, we can't afford the million dollars it's going to cost to put a parking lot in there, and we'll keep sharing the offals and figure out what happens, okay? Another big project that we're trying to do over the next two years, the biggest project, is a new Linux campus. Right off of Schoolhouse on Laraway Road uh, will be a campus that we know all the people in the South area, South Burbs, are really excited about. I'm already hearing talk about, you know, what's going on there. Manhattan friends are telling me, man, all our neighbors are talking about it. They can't wait for us to get closer to them. Because you might drive from pretty far down there. We have people that drive from Bourbon A and Kankakee and, you know, all those, all those places. But your friends, you can't invite your friends to drive 45 minutes with you. Well, now you can get, you can get them to come there. And, and that's what we figured out along the way. Here's the... Did I do the drone footage already? There's the drone footage of the campus as it's going right now, already being uh, done. You can see, um, yeah, okay, this is a corner. Jules over on the bottom left-hand corner over there, Laraway Road, and we're working on the dirt right now, getting everything ready to rock and roll. Um, it's going to be a great location. We know it's going to blow up. Pastor Richie's going to do a great job. What happens if we don't do this? If we don't do this daring faith thing? Um, then, then it'll probably just push back the timing. We hope to get that open by Christmas, but uh, you know we, we're not going to go out and borrow a ton of money to make this thing happen. If we don't have it, we're not going to do it. We'll have to push it off. What happens if we get more than $35 million pledged to what's going to happen? Then we will be ready for our Northeast campus. And I, I still, we've been trying, you guys. We have. I know a lot of you come from the city, come from Palos, you come from up that direction, Oak Lawn, whatever. We want to get back up that way. We can't find a place. And if we've got money for it and a place becomes available, boom, we're going to be ready to go. We want to have five campuses by 2020. So we're going to keep doing it. All right. Now you're like, okay, why do you keep working on this? Because we have one job, because we're trying to figure out how to stay in business, and that means we've got to figure out how to expand more. Let, let me show you what has happened along the way. Back in 1997, we realized we weren't going to get anywhere unless we took a daring step of faith. We were running about 300 people in attendance at the time, and we took a daring step of faith, and because of that, you could see the growth. You could see what happened. Okay, all, all the way through, uh, God has blessed us because we've done this. Since that time, since 97, there have been 7,400 people baptized. We've had 15 students get baptized just this week in our student ministry advanced commitment night. There have been hundreds, thousands of lives changed and marriages saved and missions projects and 60 churches planted internationally and nine planted in the U.S., 
and a safe house that we helped get start. It's not run by us and other churches help, but that got going because of what we do. And kids sponsored all over the, all over the place. And then this added campus thing then that we added at Lockport along the way, it just it, it blew up to 400 people instantly, and then we moved it over to, to the Homer location, and now they're running between seven and 800 people. They had a meeting at our Homer campus this week for people that are just interested in doing mission work. 60 people showed up out of a campus of seven or 800 people. I mean, that's exciting, and that's what we're going to do in New Lenox. They're, again, they're running seven or 800 people a weekend. Do you realize that our Homer campus would, would be in the 98th percentile of churches, of all the churches in America? Just that campus. And altogether, Parkview is in the 99.99th percentile in size of churches in the country. Does that matter? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bragging. i, I, I got to ask a question. Does that matter? Are you one of those numbers? Then it matters. Yeah. Are there 4 million people within a 30-minute drive time of one of our campuses? Then it matters to them. Whether you know them or not, it matters to them. So can we retire? No. Can we sit around and chant, we're number point zero zero one? No. Because we have a job. We have a commission. Therefore, Jesus said, right before he went back to God, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. We call that reach, raise, and release. We reach people for Jesus, we raise them up as fully devoted followers, and we release them to do ministry. But it gets hard as the organization gets bigger to keep your focus, right? I mean, the Blackhawks demonstrated, have demonstrated for us, right, unfortunately, how hard it is to keep winning every year as an organization. It was a heartbreaking Monday night, wasn't it? And if you were here last Sunday morning, you know, it might have been my fault. Because <laughs> I wore the Harlow jersey last Sunday morning, and I might be the goat, okay? I'm just, I mean, seriously, when Seabrook's shot hit both posts and didn't go in, did you just kind of under your breath go, Harlow? <laughs> I know some of you did. We know how hard it is to repeat. I mean, the Bulls were amazing at it. The Hawks have won three out of the last six years. That's a dynasty. But it takes great commitment to keep winning year after year. And that's the heart of the team. And that's about investment. Guys, we had 3,000 more people at Christmas Eve. <laughs> Process this. We had 24,000 people for Christmas Eve. That's 3,000 more than we had last year, which was 1,000 more than we had the year before that. Every year, it just keeps growing. 24,000 people. Same thing happened at Easter. We had 700 people more this year than we had last year, and it's grown every year along the way. But overall, I'm going to show you this graph again. Overall, what happened? Overall, we're not keeping them. There, there's not enough room for them. Something happened. And you can see that we're at this point here, kind of like we were back here in 1997, where if we don't do something drastic, we're going to retire. We're, we're, we're going to stop. Is that why you're doing this? Well, yeah. See, here's what I know. Back in 1997, a small group of people said, we're going to take daring faith. And, and we, it took us a while. We bought land, and we started growing, doubled instantly. Got into the new building. 2004, we did another one. It's called Time to Grow, another daring faith initiative kind of thing. Time to Grow. What happened? Well, we were able to build the big building at Orland, the 2,000 seats, and we were able to grow. In 2008, it was time to do it again. We called it the Great Investment. 
And we did. We were able to finish out this building up and down, and we were able to get our Lockport campus taken care of because we did that, and we continued to grow. In 2011, we did Cannonball. We're going to jump in and make waves, and we finished out this building, and we were able to grab the Homer campus when it came along. We got a chapel, and we did a lot of mission work and a lot of other churches along the way and a safe house, and all those things happened. And here we are here asking ourselves the same question. What are we going to do? Okay. Let me demonstrate for you how this works, all right? Everybody just stand up right now, okay? Even if you watch me on the internet, just stand up right now. You, you sit down when I tell you to, I'll, I'll be good, okay? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you weren't wearing pants. Okay, here we go. Um, here's what we're doing. We're gonna, I want everybody that has come since 2011, you may be seated, okay? This is like Simon says. If you come since 2011, you may be seated. All right, all you people that are seated know that there were a group of people five years ago that committed to making things happen so this church could keep growing and you're here as a part of that. 2008, if you've come since 2008 now, you may be seated, all right? All you people understand because we did a great investment because we added a campus and of course there's a whole campus of people now because of what we did. All right, 2004, you may be seated. All of, all of you that are seated know that back in 2004, a bunch of us committed to building a bigger building here so that we could have 11 Easter services, which we had no idea was ever going to happen. That's what happened because of the, of the small group of people you see standing that were committed in 2004 to make it happen. Since 1997, be seated, okay? Everybody since 1997 may be seated. All right. I think I'm putting this on the internet, but it's okay. If you remember last week when I, when I said the defining moment in our church was when my friend turned the number upside down and I thought he was an idiot, and he's, he's, he's sitting right there. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry I didn't have faith in you, Rigsby. Okay? Um, that when we had that very first number, that's what was going on. You understand that? Um, we, 1997, this group of people... We all thought we were crazy for doing what we were doing, but because this small group of people standing up had daring faith, all of the rest of you could be here. Would you applaud them for me? And you may be seated. Come on back. I'll give you some biscuits and gravy, Brian. Okay? Oh, amen. Um, we couldn't do that unless we did what we did, and now we can't do what we're doing. And, and, and guys, come on, process this. <laughs> We have six services a weekend now, okay? At our, at our Orland campus, we have six. I don't know if you know that or not, but we have six services a weekend. Do you know how many churches in the country have six services a weekend? I could probably put them on two hands. And yeah, we're going to go back to five after Mother's Day. So add toes, whatever. Nobody does the things that we do to try to reach the people like we do. And that's why God keeps blessing and we keep growing and things keep happening. But it's not going to happen going forward unless we do something crazy about it. We're in the process. We're in a place where we literally can't reach more people unless we do something drastic and take a daring step of faith. And we have to decide, are we going to trust God or are we not? And close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. <laughs> All I have to do when I go talk to other church leaders is just start with that video 
and say, here's your problem, okay? It, you know, if, if you're trusting in your stuff, you're trusting in the things that you think you can do and the way that you've always done it, and you're trusting in yourself, it's not going to work. You're going to have to lean back and trust in God. I looked back at the last time I, I did this uh, generosity kind of initiative thing, and there were a couple stories I just had to hit again. And this is one of them. So if you were here five years ago, you get to hear it again. It's so, it's so great. It's Elisha's story, Elisha the prophet in the Old Testament. And, and the story is about a widow who doesn't have anything. That's why I love this story. Because she doesn't have anything. Because a lot of people are like, well, you know, I, I, I can't commit to, you know, doing anything else for God because I really don't have anything. I mean, I literally had somebody just give me a card, an unsigned card, and they said, you know, we weren't going to do anything with this daring faith thing because we didn't have anything. But we decided and we prayed about it and we asked God to, to show us something. And my husband went for job interviews the next day and got two job interviews and took one of the jobs. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. This is what I'm talking about. Okay? This woman has nothing. She has a little bit of oil left in a jar, and the prophet Elisha comes along, and he says, how can I help you? And what we see here, God is getting ready to do what I've experienced, that multiplication miracle. It's the same thing that happens with five loaves and two fish, right? God feeds 5,000-plus people. It's how God works sometimes. But he always asks you and me to start with what he's already given us. Elisha said, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? She said, your servant has nothing. That's how everybody always is, except a little oil. And Elisha said, well, all right, let's use the oil. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. What? What he's saying is, I'm going to ask God to bless the little bit of oil that you have and multiply it, get you out of debt. Her sons are getting ready to be taken as slaves. I mean, it's that bad of a situation. I'm going to get you out of the bad place that you're in, and I'm going to let God get you out of the bad place you're in and multiply it and take care of your life. This is how this is going to work. And today I'm asking you for not just a few jars. A lot of times that's, that's what happens. This woman has to swallow a lot of pride. It takes a lot of faith and a lot of effort and, and a lot of sacrifice to say, look, we need more jars. I just need to borrow some jars. So she's walking up and down. I hope she didn't just go like, no, oh, this crazy guy wants me to get a jar. You got a jar and goes over with one little Tupperware thing and that's all. We don't know how the story goes. We know how the story ends and I'll get to that. What we don't know is, mm, you know, how many jars did she get? I think that she went walking up and down the street saying, bring out your jars. Like, just give me all the jars you got. Go out ask for not just a few. Don't ask for a few. Go hard or go home. Her temptation was to limit God. And we don't know how many that she got, but I think she had them everywhere. And here's where it gets really important. Then you go inside, shut the door behind you, you and your sons. In other words, Elisha's not even going to be there for this. So she, this woman hopefully has got a house full of jars and a little bit of oil in a, in a jar. You know, that's all she's got left. And Elisha's not even going to go. He's not going to be there. I'm not going to be a part of your daring faith journey. You can tell me about it along the way. I'd love to hear. But, but I'm not going to come over to your job interview. I'm not going to you know, come over for all the things that are going on. Elisha wasn't there. They were there. Here's the, here's the important part to me. Only the ones participating in the miracle got to see the miracle. You see, the truth of the matter is that the, the people that were here in 1997, you know, got to participate in the miracle because they were a part of the miracle. 
And many times when I get up and I do something like this and I challenge us to have a daring faith, especially when it comes to finances, people get mad and they leave. And, and that's fine. I'm, I'm just sad for them because they don't get to see the miracles. <laughs> I couldn't think of any cute way to say it. So this is it. You don't get to be a part of the miracle unless you're part of the miracle. Okay? Here's what I mean. Some people are like Naaman that I talked about on uh, Palm Sunday. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go. And this is about you and God. It's not about me. It's about you and God. And God says, go get dunked seven times in the Jordan River, and then your, your, your leprosy will be healed. And at first, Naaman was like, whatever. I'm not doing that. I got better rivers than that. I'm not getting, you know, seven times. Why do I need to do that? But finally he did, and then what happened? Then he was a part of the miracle. Jonathan's assistant, his armor bearer, if, I told, if you heard this story about perhaps that Jonathan said, you know what, I think God is with us and we can beat this army. And Jonathan's armor bearer said, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. And he got to be a part of it. He could have said, nah, you're nuts. And, and he could have left and he wouldn't have got to be a part of the miracle. Jesus turned water into wine. But who knew it? Who saw it? Who was a part of it? Just the disciples. All the other guests knew it was some mighty fine wine. That's all they knew. But they didn't know where it would come from. They, didn't, they weren't a part of the miracle. You see what I'm saying? Feeding of the 5,000. There wasn't a camera on Jesus. People weren't going, oh, look what Jesus did. All they knew is somebody kept bringing them food. Who was a part of the miracle? The disciples and the boy who brought his lunch. He was a part of the miracle. He saw the miracle, and then he went home with 12 baskets full afterwards. Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to 500 people. Who were those 500 people? They were the faithful. They were the people that were part of the miracle. Jesus didn't go on Jerry Springer, you know. He wasn't on the view. Oh, Jesus, we heard you were dead. Hey, everybody, look. No, just to the people that were a part of it. That's what it was. So Elisha said, here's what you're going to do. Pour the oil into the jars, and as each one is filled, put it to the side. So she left him, shut the door behind her with her and her sons, the people who were part of the miracle, they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. I underline this. i got to circle it. She kept pouring. She had a little faith in God, and she kept pouring. A multiplication miracle. No rational explanation for it. Somehow God made that little bit of oil get reproduced over and over and multiply over and over and over again. And she went running back to Elisha and told the man of God, and he said, now go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Okay, great. Worked out great for her. Worked out great for everybody in the Bible who had a daring faith, okay? Because Jesus said along the way, he said, listen, some seed's going to fall on good soil if you have daring faith, and it's going to produce a crop of 30, 60, even 100 times. Do you realize why this church has been blessed by God? It's not me. God just rolls his eyes at me. I can feel it, you know? It's like, oh, I can't believe it. Eating biscuits and gravy in my holy service. I, 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 he, he does. It's not me. It's the location. No, it's not the location. Well, it's the worship. It's really good worship. Yeah, it is, but that's not what it is. You know why this church has been blessed by God? It's the jars. We keep bringing empty jars and the little bit of oil that we have, and God keeps filling them up. It's because of our daring faith. 
And Jesus told us this. He said, the measure of faith that you have is going to measure the amount of miracle that you have over and over again. He even went to his hometown of Nazareth, and it says they could, Jesus could do no miracles there because of their lack of faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, because they're like, oh, that's just Jesus, Joseph and Mary's son. And they had no faith that he could do miracles, and so he couldn't. Jesus, Jesus said, give, and it'll be given to you. Matter of fact, it'll be like put in a can, you know, with some, with some gas inside of it. It's going to be good pressure pressed down, shaking together, and exploding over. It poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's absolutely true every time. may not be financially. That, that verse is actually about judging. I mean, if you judge harshly, you're going to be judged harshly. If you, if you judge with grace, you're going to be judged with grace. If you give love, you're going to receive love. And God is going to take care of how it all works, but whatever seed you plant is going to be the fruit of your harvest. And that is the story of Parkview, period. Some people think you please God through ritual or rules or regulations or all of those things along the way. That's not it. You please God through your faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's, that's where I, I can tell you I live. I've earnestly sought him, not nearly enough, but I have, and he is rewarded over and over and over again. And what you're getting ready to do is a tangible expression of your faith in God. And faith involves action. So what we're talking about is a, a DTR talk. For old people, that's a define the relationship talk. Okay? Many of us welcome a DTR talk when it comes to God because we're like, okay, I'm ready to step up and go to the next level. I'm ready to do this. For others, we're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just here for the free coffee. And yeah, that's fine. It's great. Wherever you're at, you know, we want you to give cheerfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Please understand that. But if you had a DTR talk with Jesus, how would it go? Or if I could say it this way, Kyle Eidelman said, are you a fan or a follower? He wrote a great book called Not a Fan. Are you a fan or a follower? Now, some of you are wondering why I'd ask a question like that. We're all followers of Jesus, right? That's why we're here. Don't jump to your answer too quickly. Hear me out. The word fan is defined as an enthusiastic admirer. We're all fans of different things, right? Many of us are sports fans. We watch the games. We cheer on the team. Some of us own jerseys of our favorite teams and our favorite players, right? And we think we, ha- and we, I think, Eidelman said, we have a tendency to come together once a week and be fans of Jesus. We all sit in our seats, open up the programs. We applaud at certain times. We leave somehow thinking that as fans, it was all done for us. We get in the car. We evaluate the sermon. We give it kind of a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And we come back to do it all again the next week. But fans aren't going to like the hard stuff, are they? Like where Jesus said, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Lay up treasure in heaven where nobody can mess with it. You can't serve two masters, God and money. You realize Jesus taught on money more than any other subject. Somebody wrote me this week complaining, saying, you know, it's time to get off this giving thing and get back to preaching from the word. Okay? Listen. This is the number one subject in the word. 10% of the things that Jesus tells us are about this issue. 
because it is the number one issue in our hearts. And Jesus said, I want you to follow me. I wasn't talking about Instagram, Periscope, or Twitter. He meant, I want you to be like me. I want you to give yourself so that others might have life like I did. And fans don't really want to hear that, do they? One of the saddest verses in the Bible, ironically, John 666. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Oh yeah, it was great when he provided free lunch and healed people. He's a great teacher, but in the long run, when it got personal, they left. I mean, they liked the idea of heaven, and they liked the miracles, and they liked the bread, you know, and, and the free show, and the excitement. But, but when Jesus wipes all that off and offers only himself, they aren't interested. And we read on the next verse, Jesus says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? Eidelman goes on, he says, I don't know how Jesus said that. I don't, I don't know if he was frustrated or angry. My guess is that he spoke with a tone of disappointment and sadness as it became clear why so many were following him. And even though he was God, that must have broken his heart. How would you feel if you started to date someone? This is great, Eidelman says. And you took them to the movies for the first date, and you paid for the popcorn and the drinks and all the snacks, and you paid for the tickets. And after the date, you asked them out again, and they said yes. And you take them somewhere nicer, even a nicer restaurant. And you let them order anything they want, and you, do, you pay all the bills, and, and you take care of everything. And after each date, you, you have more and more fun with this person, and you start to feel a real connection with them. And when you think things are getting really a little bit more serious, you ask them out on a special date, and they agree, and you pick them up. And you surprise them by taking them to the park or like going on a walk where you can just talk and be by yourself and you stop and sit at a bench and you pour out your heart to this person telling them how much you care about them and how much you want to help make them happy and fulfill them you want to take your relationship to the next level and just as you finish pouring out all your affection for them they look at you and they go is this a date when are we going to go do something and pretty soon you realize they were just hanging around for the things that you would do for them. Movie tickets, night of free meals. Wouldn't that break your heart? Or in Jesus' disciples' case, salvation. I can imagine that might be how Jesus felt. So he asked his disciples, the men that he's closest to, so what about you? Do you want to leave too? And Simon Peter who is the impetuous one and usually speaks up and sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good, says, good. Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So we're with you. This could be a DTR moment for you. Take out your commitment cards right in front of you in the chair back. Even if you're visiting, take it out. Act like you're looking at it, like you care, okay? Just take it out. And I, I want to challenge you to this DTR moment, all right? I want you to realize that this card, that this matters. This matters for eternity. We're not talking about paying for some bills. We're not talking about something, so, something that doesn't matter. We're not even talking about something very important, like paying for a wedding, for example, I'm getting ready to do. We're not even talking about something really important. This is, this is going to matter for eternity. You understand that? Eternity. 
And let me explain the card. Put it up there so I can explain it. The top part's just a worksheet. <coughs> it's just a worksheet for you, okay? You don't have to, the only thing that's important is that line in the middle. You know, what is it going to be? But, but this is a worksheet. What do you normally give in a year? So put right down whatever that number is. You've done your taxes, whatever it is. If it's zero, put zero. That, that's fine because I, I hope that for a lot of us, this is an opportunity for us to define the relationship with Jesus in a new and a better way. Put down what you normally give, whatever it is, okay? $500 a year, $50,000 a year, whatever it is. Put that down. Okay, for us, my wife and I, that's our tithe. And we've done that all our life and we've seen God bless it over and over again. We give 10% gross no matter what. Always have, whether it was a dollar or whatever, that's what we've done. Next line is, what else can you do? What else can God do through you? Where can you go find some empty jars? What, kind, what is it that you're holding on to that you could sacrifice for something that's going to matter for eternity? My wife and I, that's going to be a much bigger number than even the number that's up above it. And then you put that down below as a one-year line and double it because this is two years. I mean, sometimes people are just bad at math. I want you to understand this. God's got two years to do this for us. Two years. And then that next line, really fascinating for me and challenging for me. Because I said from the very, very beginning when I wrote this book, Life on Mission, well, nobody ever makes any money off any books anymore. I don't know if you know publishing. And I said from the very beginning, if I made any money off this book and this program, I wasn't keeping it anyway. And I did. I made some money. I've got, a, I've got another pile of money that I'm going to have on that line that I'm going to be able to give to. It's the first time in my life. I've never had, I never had anything else. And I already knew I was setting it aside for this. So that part's kind of easy. It's kind of fun. It's kind of cool because... God's already put it there, and I'm just wondering what else is there in your life that God's already put there that, that you don't need. It's sitting in your driveway, it's taking up a room, I don't know, whatever that is. You put down your, two, your total for the commitment, total to your commitment, and that's all you, put, that's all you do. We're going to put them in the tires on our way out. We're going to put our tires and do a communion and go on our way out. For some of you, this will be the first time you've ever done it. This will be the first DTR when it comes to the treasure heart thing in your life, and I'm promise you Satan's going to come at you hard and God is going to blow your mind when he shows up for others like me and my wife this is, we've done this so much doing one of these having these DTR moments are times when we get to say wait a minute have we gotten comfortable in sacrificing that gift chart on the back if you want to look at that that that's just a way for you to say okay what do I think we could do and I want to challenge you I mean, the only way we're going to reach our goal is if everybody thinks, oh, maybe I could do more. Maybe God could do more. Maybe I ought to move up a line. And we'll see God do something like he did with this widow. Again, you don't have to fill out all the blanks, just the one that's important, two-year generosity apart for you over the end. And here's what's important. I hope somebody writes us a $20 million check. I really do. I'm not going to tell you about it, but I hope they do. We'll be all ready for, you know, whatever is going to come, what other campuses but that's not what's important. What's really important is I'd like to see every person who's a part of part of you be a part of daring faith in some way. Widows might, whatever it is, okay? Here's the part of the story I skipped, really important. Verse six, when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And he said, there's not a jar left. And that's when the oil stopped flowing. The reason I brought that story back is for that line. Because in 2011, I said, is this our last jar? 
are we done or are we going to keep going? And we kept going, and a lot of you were glad that we did. She determined the size of her reward by the faith that she had and the sacrifice that she made. And, and, and we're not going to ever run out of jars here. We're going to create a jar in New Linux. We're going to create jars in Malawi. We're going to create a jar parking lot in Homer. We're going we're, we're to create a jar safe house in Brazil. We're going to do those things. I'm not ever going to quit finding more jars. I've had some of my younger friends here say, have been part of other churches. I had this recently. They, they came to me and they said, you know what, we, we really appreciate the way that you haven't um, just gotten comfortable. They didn't say in your old age, but I got, I got what they were saying. You know, like, like it'd be really easy for you to say, you know what, I, I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm, I, I've done enough. I've, I've done, you know, and that's what a lot of older people do. I'm just going to go play golf and relax, right? And I could do that because God has already done immeasurably more than I'm asked or imagined in 33 years of ministry. And my golf game is terrible. Okay? So nobody would fault me for saying, you know what, I'm not doing this a fifth time. I'm not asking people to do this again. I could just sit back and say, we're big enough, we're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. I don't want to do this, but this is never going to work for me. As long as I'm here, we'll find more jars. My goal is to die doing God's kingdom work, have my last check bounce, because I got rid of it all and never get below a double-digit handicap. <laughs> there you go. So far, I'm doing good on one of those. Okay. If you signed up for Parkview, that's what you're going to get. We will never run out of jars. You just got to know that because we love God's lost children, and that's what we're going to do. And it's pretty easy for me to think about right now because I'm getting ready to spend an exorbitant amount of money on my last daughter's wedding. I am spending money for the privilege of walking my last daughter down the aisle in June 12th in California. Actually, I have to walk her down the aisle and do the wedding. So I don't know how that's going to work. It'd be like, da, 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 da. okay, who gives this woman to be married? Her mother and I. And, you know, I, I, I haven't figured out all logistics yet, but, but what I know is I'm paying for it. And I'm paying a lot of money for it. And do you know why I'm doing that? Well, A, because I've already done it for her two sisters, and you know how that goes, so don't start down that track, okay? And, and B, because I love my daughter and my son-in-law, and I would do anything for them. And, and here's the thing. I was thinking about it. I love them, and I would do anything for them now, but you know what? As time goes on, things are going to switch around, isn't, aren't they? As time goes on, I'm gonna, they're going to give me grandkids, and I'm going to be really glad that I treated them to a nice wedding. And someday when I'm old and wearing my, you know, adult underwear and they're taking care of me, I'm going to really be glad that I invested in them back in the day, that I showed them how much I love them because now it's, now they're taking care of me. And that's the thing that we don't know about this, you know? What is this going to mean to our kids and our grandkids? I told you the story that I told in 1997 about the guy who literally helped an emergency worker get to his house and save his own kid, and he didn't know he was doing it. He just, it, it just happened. And I've talked about how those are my kids. They got baptized here. They got married here. And that, that's happened to me, and we don't know what is going to happen going forward. And we can't really plan for it either. You know, when we moved into our house 21 years ago, I thought we were going to have all the room that we needed with three small kids. And we did, you know. And now we have room for you to come and hang out because it's just the two of us. I mean, we might as well have a and b most of the time. But every once in a while, like three weeks ago when we had Becca's wedding shower, we had the whole family in. 
And, and we, we literally had my grandchildren in the closet. Right? We, we, had, we had Charlie in the closet. It's really just an entryway into the, into the attic. You know, and if I would have known that that was going to happen, I would have made it a lot nicer back in the day if I knew that was a bedroom because we had everybody in there. And that's what I tell you. We don't know what's going to happen along the way. We don't, you know, we have, we have room for people most of the time, you know, if, if I'm, you know, if it's like Saturday night service or Sunday night service or I'm preaching about money, we have room for people, right? <laughs> but every once in a while... We have people in the closet. We have people all, we have 11 Easter services at one campus. And we just don't know what's going to happen. So we're going to continue to invest and do everything we can because we love your kids and your grandkids too. And um, my wife and I may be driving this car, but whatever. It's all going to be good. I don't think so because God always takes care. This is what's really, really important. You've got to understand that. This is what's really, really important. When you have a daring faith in God, God is going to blow you away. When you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And it will be like this. Somebody sent me this video. Um, I, I saw it. I thought this is exactly it. This is a baby that unfortunately had some <clears throat> handicaps and some debilities um, when it was born and disabilities when it was born. And it gets glasses for the first time and is able to see its mom for the first time. Watch. Hi, honey. Oh, Hi, honey. can't tell you how many people are already sending me notes saying, I, I just had that experience. I can't tell you how many times I've had that experience. And the people that have been around here that have trusted God had that experience. It's like, okay, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh, yeah. You really are there. You really are that good. We're going to have uh, a video right now give you just a chance to kind of see some of the advanced commitment things that are happening. Then I'm going to come back out and I'm going to walk you through what we're going to do. We're going to take a three-minute time after that of reflection and prayer. This is about you and God. And then I'll come back out, lead us in communion. We'll circle up through the middle aisles here, okay, to make everything simple. Circle up through the middle aisles, drop our cards, grab a communion cup, go back, and we'll do communion all together and we'll be done. All right? Let's watch this first. The history for what we're doing tonight really goes back to King David in the Old Testament, where uh, King David gathered the people together and said, we, we're going to build we're going to build a temple, and, uh, and I'm going to start, and I'm going to lead, and I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what we're going to do, and then we're all going to jump in together, and, and it's going to spread to the rest of the people of Israel, okay? So that's what we're doing. That's exactly what's happening here. This daring step of faith is not about Parkview building a new building. It's about all of us 
by the working of the Holy Spirit, creating a new home where our neighbors, friends, family will have the liberty to live, play, and grow into the kingdom of God. For some of us, we're not going to be giving out of excess anymore. We're not going to be giving out of routine. We're going to challenge ourselves again and see what God does. And tonight we're going to take a daring step of faith in a way we never had dreamed of. We're going to watch and see what happens when God comes in. Somebody said sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love more. And as I look back on it, let me think about what God has done over 60 years, 65 years total of the life of this church. A lot of people have given up something they love so that a lot of us could find more. God, as, as we get time, just this moment to fill out this card, to talk to you and to think about what it means. I can't wait for the 6th and the 7th and the 8th because I know that every time I've done something crazy for you and I've stepped up and said, perhaps, I've I've jumped out and I said, let's let's see what God does with this. I'm just blown away as I look back. So as we do this right now, as we write these numbers down, as we pray, Lord, please speak to us. Please help us to understand, help us to feel you on on our backs, not pressure, but you strapped to our backs with a chute on the back, saying, hey, let's jump, let's fly, let's see what's going on. Daring faith means to us is uh, just reaching out of our comfort zone and just giving more than we've ever given before. Daring faith commitment to us means doubling our annual commitment and putting our rental home up for sale and donating all proceeds that we make off of the sale. To us, this daring faith commitment means stepping out not only financially, but also in other ways. God's led us to do a lot of missions work and we feel God calling us to do even more this year. Uh, I've been in park for a few months. Uh, really been trying to get out of debt. Um, for a while. Didn't know I was going to actually do the uh, financial commitment, um, but after listening to everything, I feel like it's the best best uh, step for me to take to actually give, and I know that once I give that, uh, God will honor that, so I'm just, just trusting Him for the next step. Daring faith to me is just totally trusting God, giving until it hurts, and seeing the amazing things He can do, because I've seen it, and I just know it's going to be awesome. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend three minutes just in quiet reflection. Again, if you're visiting, I'm not trying to pressure you. Um, we've got to all do the communion the same way, so you're going to have to come up and get it. Um, so put, some, you know, put the next steps card in if you want to. But for those of you that call Parkview home, I am challenging you once again. And even if you filled one out already, you know, I, mean, I, I said this last week, we, we moved our figure up. And uh, maybe that's something you and God are going to have a conversation with right now. But even if you filled one out, just throw another one in. Just, I mean, we'll, we'll have record of it. Just to be an example. Throw one in. Three minutes. Think and pray. I'll come back. I'll lead you through it. We're going to come through. Throw them in. Grab communion. And we're going to go. God, I want to pray for this crowd right now. And pray for the people listening to me on the Internet. There, I, I know we have a ton of people that just, for whatever reason, they can't come or they don't want to be here. Um, 
but Lord, they can be part of the miracle. Just pray for all of us right now that you will touch our hearts. I thank you for the people who've told me, a lady already this morning, that you just kind of gave her a figure that, you, that she didn't think made any sense. And a day later, she realized why it made sense because you made it happen. I just pray for those moments to happen right now. Be with us as we think and we pray and as we define the relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Wealthy man wanted nothing else but a family. He had everything else God could have given him except a family. Finally, he and his wife in, her old, in their old age had a little boy, but he was born with a, a lot of handicaps, a lot of special needs. Didn't matter. His father always wanted a boy, and he loved his son. He was very special to him. When the boy was five, the mother died, which just made dad and the son draw even closer to each other. And when the boy was 13, then his birth issues caused him to pass away. And the father died not too long after that. And they said it was just a broken heart. But he was a wealthy man from a wealthy family. And everybody gathered around the auction that was going to happen after everything was over. And they knew he had a lot of priceless paintings and sculptures and a lot of things that they wanted to get their hands on. And everybody was pretty excited about this estate as it got auctioned off. The auctioneer got up and he started uh, with a picture of the sun. And it was a nicely done picture, but everybody knew it wasn't really worth any money. Nobody bid on it. Nobody wanted it. They all wanted the good stuff. Finally, the housekeeper, who had loved this little boy, finally said, well, I'll give you $5 for it. Nobody else bid on it, so she took the bid. The auctioneer got up in front of everyone, pulled off a handwritten will off the back of the painting and read it. And it said, to the person who thinks enough of my son to buy this painting, I leave my entire estate. And the auction was over. I mean, that's what I think we're doing right now. This communion represents the body and the blood of the Son of God. And we're going to define the relationship. We can say that we want to follow him. We can say we believe in him. This is a moment for us to prove it. Stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Again, if you're down here on the floor, you're going to come through these middle aisles, and we'll have several songs to worship, so not a big rush. Put your card in the tires, grab the cup on your way out, and come back around to your seat or find a seat because we're just going to stay there, and we're going to do communion, and we're going to close out together. Let's pray. Lord, we do think enough of your son um, that we would be like you. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. And we believe that and we believe you gave to us. And so we're going to follow you, Jesus. We're going we're to think enough of what you did in your sacrifice, Father God, that we're going to make room for more people, more of your prodigals to come home. And I don't know where that will ever end, but hopefully for me, that last jar won't happen till well after I'm gone because I want to see this happen. So thank you for what you've done for us in communion right now as we, as we celebrate. Lord, there may be people in this crowd that are thinking, well, I don't, even, I don't deserve any of this. Lord, it, it's not about 
giving to you. It's not about serving you. It's not about loving you. None of that pays the price for what you've done. The price was already paid. Everything we do for you now is a way of giving back. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.